The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Basketball Society. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Atlantic Files. As always, you're joined by myself, Alex Fishbein, and this is episode number 155. We have some action going on in the bubble, real games for real stakes for the playoffs. Now, obviously, most of the seeds have already been, well, I shouldn't say most of the seeds. Most of the teams that are making the playoffs have already been decided. We have both number one seeds actually already uh, clinched. We had the Lakers and the Bucks both clinching their number one seeds. And it is very, very interesting to see what's going to happen with the rest of them. So without further ado, let's get into this. By the way, we are brought to you by BasketballSocietyOnline.com and the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. So... Right now, we'll have a little bit of a standings uh, check-in here. Toronto still in second, Boston in third, Philly in sixth, and Brooklyn in seventh. That is their Eastern Conference rankings. So by those rankings, you can tell how they rank in the division themselves. Um, Philly is about four games back. Uh, They are four games back from Boston. Uh, Boston's at 45 and 23. Philly's at 41 and 27. Um, Brooklyn is at 32 and 36 and Toronto is all the way up there at the top at 49 and 18. They are about four and a half games, uh, up on Boston. I don't think it's likely that Boston is going to catch them. Um, I'm not sure if it's even mathematic. I don't know how many, if they've played four games, I don't know who owns the tiebreaker there, actually. I think it's Toronto, so I think they would take that uh, seed over top of Boston anyway. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, we've seen some very good play from the Atlantic Division teams, and we've also seen some pretty poor play from them as well. I mean, you, you've really run the gambit so far in the bubble. And I want to start off first with an injury. Um, Ben Simmons left the Sixers game against Washington in the third quarter. He was walking very gingerly back to the locker room. Nobody really saw uh, like what exactly happened. He was just kind of moving around. He took a step back. And then once he gave the ball up and the play was dead, he just walked towards the bench and walked right down the tunnel. Um, So nobody like at the time, really understood what happened there and obviously that's a little worrisome too because I feel like most of the time that you see a non-contact uh injury that's usually like the one that you really start worrying about like oh god what what tendon was it what ligament was it what uh you know what muscle was it what 
bone was it what like you, you just start going crazy you just start thinking of every kind of body part you can in general and just like how's he limping which leg is which leg you start looking at the twitter doctors and you're like yo twitter come on who the random doctors that to somehow know exactly what he has even though you didn't do the x-ray <laughs> um but no so it is um it ended up being the I'm not sure if I'm saying this correctly. I could very well be butchering this, but it is the subluxation of the left patella. And it essentially means that he dislocated his kneecap, I think I read. Um, And I also got some insider information um, from a PA. Um... Let me see here. Yeah, basically dislocated his patella. Um, it's less severe. Um, and so uh, they're going through uh, the... Um, they're going through the possible treatments for it. And they're going to know more information, I think it, they said like by Friday or Saturday, uh, about whether, you know, he's going to be able to return for the rest of, you know, the playoffs or what it may be. Obviously, this is pretty bad for the Sixers. Um, a direct quote from Brett Brown, he said, this one stings, that's for sure. And Brett Brown also talked about how Horford and Embiid will be playing more together now that Simmons is out. So there's a few things to unpack there. Like, with Simmons being out, yes, that's definitely bad for the Sixers. I think that they are definitely at their peak when Simmons is at his peak and he's still able to play with Joel Embiid. However, we've also seen the team play very well with only one or the other on the court in terms of either Simmons or either Embiid. So I think this really has a chance to go either way. However, I believe they're going to get worse because we've watched the point guard play so far. We've watched the guard play in general so far, and it really hasn't been good. Um, Neto, I mean, he's been, he really hasn't been a net positive or a net negative when I think about it. When he's on the floor, there's a lot of bad things that I see, and then the good things that he does, I'm like, all right, those are the things you should be doing as the backup point guard. So it's a little confusing as to what he's going to give you. Shake Milton, obviously, with the first game was not very good. Uh, Embiid and him got into a little bit of an argument on the sideline, and then he comes up and hits a game-winning shot. So, I mean, he's going back and forth, not only with his, his level of play, but also his confidence levels. And really, right now, I would say the only consistent person has been Embiid. And Embiid has really been a force. I mean, he's been putting up, let's see, he's been putting up 32.7 points, 13.7 rebounds, four assists a game with 58%, 58.3% from the field, 81.8% from free throw line, 
with a 127 offensive rating, a 108 defensive rating, all while averaging 1.6 steals and 1.6 blocks a game. Yeah, he has been a force, and he's been the most consistent of the Sixers as well. It's really the whole supporting cast as well as the strategies coming from Brett Brown that are going to decide whether they can weather this storm uh, of Simmons being hurt or whether they will sink. And honestly, if I was a betting man, which I usually am not, (laughs) uh, I would say that they're more likely going to sink than weather the storm. I think that it's because the the guard play in general without Simmons has been quite poor. I mean, Richardson, who they originally tried to, to give backup point guard minutes and everything, watching him play has been very rough. Even though some of his stats you look at, they're like, okay, it's not terrible for like a fifth option, but is he supposed to be the fifth option? I mean, he shouldn't be. We came into this thinking he was going to be like the fourth option. Um, sometimes third or second, depending on, you know, what Tobias or Simmons are doing that night. Um, but so far he's been averaging 12.7 points, uh, 0.3 rebounds, two assists, shooting 43% from the floor, with a 108 offensive rating and a 120 defensive rating. Now, I know one thing is that he was supposed to be one of the better defensive players on the team. His defense has looked pretty bad. I mean, uh, when they were facing... um, I'm trying to think of who the team was they were facing last. Washington. And Shabazz Napier came in. I mean... Just with jump stops and pivots, he was losing Josh Richardson. Uh, one time, I think he might have tripped over Napier's foot or something, but he was he ended up on the ground. The next time, I think he ended up on the ground again, but I don't I don't remember exactly if he tripped over anything or or whatever. But all of this is happening just off of Napier jump stops and then pivot pivot up with a bucket. Like, it's not anything super complicated. It's not anything super complex. Those are normal plays that, you know, we have seen Richardson defend very well against earlier in the season. So I don't know exactly why that all of a sudden is not happening. But then you also have, like, when Ben Simmons was in, I mean, he was a... up until this injury, was legitimately a defensive player of the year candidate. He has looked very 50-50 with his defense so far in the bubble. Um, Obviously, he was guarding TJ Warren most of the time when they were facing the Pacers, and Warren put up 53 points. Um, And and it's not just like, oh, I I mean, part of it, obviously, is that TJ was just not missing. However, there's were many times you just watch Ben kind of lagging off, kind of, uh, you know, uh, 
not fighting through screens as as hard as he was earlier in the season, not getting around off-ball screens or kind of just letting his attention drift to like where the play is and then his man is kind of drifting away from him, getting open, getting the ball for an open shot. There's just little things with Simmons' defense that just was not looking good compared to like what he has been doing. So uh, that was a little worrisome. You combine that with the fact that Shake Milton hasn't really looked good on defense. He's he's looked good a uh, few games on offense. Um, Horford again looked very fifty fifty. Uh, you know the, the 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 team in general has not looked good on defense at all, and they're supposed to be you know one of the best defensive teams in the league. And I will give them the fact that in the bubble, teams have been scoring like crazy because obviously the whole home court advantage, the whole fans screaming, the whole all of that is just taken away. This essentially is like glorified off-season runs for these guys. Like that that's really the atmosphere that's there. The only difference is like there's virtual fans and then the DJs are playing music and stuff that you would normally find at a at – a, um, court but or at a home game or whatever but that's not the exact way that these guys are reacting to it when they're there in person like we also don't know how much of this is digital and how much of it isn't uh like with the noise and everything because you know, some of the logos on the court and stuff have been just digital logos that we see on TV but aren't actually there. And so I'm just curious if there's anything else in, in that kind of realm that we see on TV, but when they're there playing, it's completely different. Um, but again, like we've seen a lot of guys' percentages go through the roof. We've seen tons and tons of like, 120 plus point games um we've seen you know i I think it was that houston game they put up like 150 or something like that like that it was insane there's a lot of guys that are scoring a lot more however that doesn't excuse the team from getting away from like what has gotten them here in the first place and i'm very curious to see if this injury with ben simmons saves brett brown's job or if it's kind of you know sinking as this goes on and he and he can't really save it uh they i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of debates in the front office a lot of you know very back to the drawing board type of of conversations to see if Brett Brown's going to stay, if they're going to just shake up the roster, what's going to happen. Because as everything is constructed right now from top to bottom, I think that it's just problematic and I just don't see it all working as currently constructed. I just don't see it. (sighs) It's just me. But anyway, let's move on here to Toronto. So, Toronto's defense, their defense, is suffocating. Now, taking the whole season into account, they are first in the league in opponent points per game at 106.1. 
This team has a real, I mean a real chance to make the playoffs. All right, sorry, not make the playoffs, make the finals. Like, they could definitely make the finals and actually make the finals very, very interesting on top of that. They are going to really give you exciting team basketball, and they, even though they technically don't have a superstar, they still have budding stars as well as a household name. You might think that Kyle Lowry is not, you know, like the household superstar or whatever, but casual fans, diehard fans, everybody knows who Kyle Lowry is. Mainly because of, you know, before Kawhi came, everyone talking trash about Lowry and DeRozan and them choking in the playoffs and everything. But then even when Kawhi got there, Lowry being a big part of the reason that they still won that year. And now Lowry has been cooking. I mean, Lowry destroyed the Lakers in the Raptors' win. He had 33 points, 14 rebounds, and 6 assists. This man had 14 rebounds, and he's the shortest guy on the floor. He's like, what, barely 6 foot? Lowry is not a tall player. I mean, this is probably one of the teams that has two of the shortest guards, but those two guards are doing the most damage. Fred Van Vliet had a 30-point game the other day, too, I think. I'm pretty sure it was 30. Um, and then in that, that Lakers game, Siakam put up 15 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, and OG Anunobi put up 23 points. And that's a guy that has kind of gone as like an unsung hero right now. OG Anunobi is huge for that team, not only uh, just for the, the, the starting five in general, but his defense and then the offense he can produce given, uh, I mean, any night is deadly to just to go with because you're already going to be concerned with Lowry, Van Vliet, and Siakam. Those are the three guys that a lot of teams are going to strategize against, obviously. I mean, that's that's no secret. But then you still have guys like OG Ananobi, Serge Ibaka, Mark Gasol. Uh, I mean, even coming off the bench, you still got guys like Norm Powell. We saw Norm Powell, like, when his, his, like, first or second year when they were playing him a boatload of minutes, he still was able to put up some decent offense, and he's still a very good defender as well. So, the Raptors are super deep. They have a very, very real chance to make, and even, I'm going to even say win the finals. I think that the Raptors, as currently constructed with Nick Nurse, with the rest of this team, without Kawhi, have a real chance to win the finals. And honestly, the Raptors are probably the most well-rounded team in the league. I mean, looking at the major categories, offense and defense of the, the team, they were really no worse than 13th, which is the middle of the pack above the middle of the pack they are no worse than that and defense wise they're number one and i mean the only thing that i think is uh the only category i think that i saw that's a little bit lower than 13th was like i think it was blocks per game and maybe 
uh, like giving up um, rebounds or something like that, like opponent rebounds per game. But it doesn't matter when they're also, I think they were second in three-point percentage. They were around 12th or 11th, I think, in points per game. First in opponent points per game, excuse me. Those are major categories. And I think when you take all of that into account, this Toronto team is going to do some real, real damage. And uh, like I said in the beginning of the episode that there was some drama going on, Kyle Lowry and Aaron Gordon got into a little bit of an argument. Now, I think there's an argument both ways for, for Kyle Lowry's foul on Aaron Gordon. You can probably look at it as it's a little flagrant, but at the at the same time, it doesn't look like he really fouled him as hard as the the landing made it out to be. I mean, when Kyle Lowry went up, it definitely didn't look like he thought he had a chance to block the ball. It looked like he was just going up to, you know, um, foul him hard enough to stop a layup, but um not not enough to really hurt him now sure you can say oh but Lowry you know just swung his arm up there grabbed his arm and threw him down like in midair and he didn't even go over and check on him sure he didn't check on him I mean I feel like he probably would have got the benefit of the doubt if he actually went and checked on Aaron Gordon but then after all that Aaron Gordon was grabbing like the his hamstring and stuff left and left the game and on his way out um now excuse my language but he said like oh you're a bitch yeah i said it and lowry just said like yo i, I don't remember what the number was but he was like 386 that's my room number like lowry wants that smoke lowry was ready for it and I, honestly I don't know who would win in a fight. I know Aaron Gordon's bigger technically, but when you got a Philly dude like Kyle Lowry, who, I mean, he's got some strength to him. He might be a smaller guy height-wise, but that man got some strength to him. Honestly, I'm going to say Lowry could probably could probably win any kind of fight with anybody other than like a center. I think that's the only thing he's not really winning. Even then, he's probably going to go out swinging like crazy, too. And, I mean, that's one thing I've always respected about Lowry's game is that he never backs down. He'll never, like, concede and say, like, nah, nah, you're right, or anything like that. He'll always go at you 100%. He'll give you 100% on both sides of the ball. And, I mean, this guy... It's not like he's a, a, a rook or anything. It's not like he's, you know, fresh in the league. This guy's been around the league for a little while now. And he's still doing that. And he's leading a team that everyone said probably wasn't even going to make the playoffs because Kawhi Leonard left. And they definitely weren't going to sniff, you know, Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals in general. And he's leading this team to now what looks like they could definitely make the finals and even have a shot at winning it. I mean, everyone else might make jokes. All I know is I got a lot of respect for Kyle Lowry. 
So let's move on to the Boston Celtics. They are 2-2 two and two in the bubble. They beat Brooklyn and Portland and lost to Milwaukee and Miami. Um, so far, the month of August, now this isn't taking into account their very first game in the bubble because that was July 31st. I couldn't exactly uh, get the splits to combine both of those, even though it should have because it was, I mean, it's July 31st. Like, come on now. <laughs> just just throw it in with August or, or give me a split that just says home, road, bubble, something like that, you know? Anyway, um, so if you take out their July 31st game against Milwaukee, this is Tatum's second best month so far. In terms of scoring. Uh, in the month of August. So that's three games. That's the Brooklyn, Portland, Miami games. He is averaging 25.3 points. 4.3 rebounds. 3.7 assists. A game. While shooting 54.5% from the floor. 57.1% from three. 88.9% from the free throw line. With a 131 offensive rating. Now his defense. Not so great. His offense though. He's been cooking, and this is exactly what uh, everyone, you know, was was waiting for and expecting out of Tatum. Come bubble time, come real game time, this is what everyone has wanted. And other than that first game, he hasn't disappointed. Now you can chalk up the first game to, you know, his haircut, because. <laughs> Um, before the, before the haircut, he grew his hair out, all that kind of stuff. And that's the game he did really bad. And then he got his haircut and now he's been cooking ever since. So, uh, we'll just chalk it up to that. Well, you know, the fro's just not for him while he plays. He can grow the fro in the off season, whatever he wants. But when he plays, he got to get, he has to get that, that, you know, that fade, the buzz up top and everything with the line and all that, you know, that's what he really needs. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, Tatum has been a force and Tatum has been exactly what the Celtics needed. And right by his side, Jalen Brown, this month of July again, I mean, August, uh, taking out that game from July again, has arguably been his best month. 23 points a game, 6.7 rebounds a game, one assist, 48.1% uh, from the floor, 50% from three point, 113 offensive rating. However, his one downfall so far has been the free throw line. Uh, he's only shot 54.5% from the free throw line, which I thought was kind of interesting because like I was talking about with the guys in the bubble, there really isn't many distractions. The, the, the virtual fans are nothing close to the real fans or anything like that. When you're at the free throw line with all the pressure and everything like that, um, and at, like I said, everyone else's free throw percentages have been going up. I mean, Embiid's shooting 81.8. Uh, Tatum is shooting 88.9 in this month alone. So to, ha to have a 54.5% free throw percentage, obviously, I mean, I, I definitely think that's going to go up. The it, His career percentage reflects the fact that that should go up. However... If it doesn't, that's a bit of a red flag, and especially come playoff time, that's not going to be good because then you open up the possibilities. You open up the possibilities of a hack-a-shack, whatever it may be, then that starts getting in your head. That kind of thing, you know, um, finishing up 
that little bit of the regular season with a say say he finishes up with like 55 percent right you go into the playoffs you know you aren't shooting well from the line other teams also know you're not shooting well from the line they're going to target you you're going to keep going to the line and keep thinking i haven't been shooting well from the line let me do this now but that first thought that first thought when you're like, oh, I haven't been shooting well, that's going to be the thought that sticks in your mind the most. I mean, that's what a lot of studies have said is when your negative thoughts very much so outweigh your positive thoughts. And the moment you go to that line thinking, man, I have not been good at the line. Let me get these shots in. You're, you're toast. That first thought saying, I'm, I haven't been good at the line, you're toast. So if that continues into the playoffs, if that continues for him, uh, I mean, even the rest of, you know, the, the seeding games or whatever, it just doesn't bode well. Um, but so overall, I think the Celtics are, I mean, they're perfectly fine where they're at right now. I, I don't think there's any uh, cause for alarm or emergency right now. You know, if the defense doesn't uh, hold up more against the better teams, then you start to worry a little bit. Uh, yes, they beat Portland, but technically Portland's, I mean, they're still fighting for a playoff seed in general. Uh, they beat Brooklyn. Brooklyn's not that good, but they lost to Milwaukee and Miami, who are going to be two of the better playoff teams in the East. So... You want to see them do a little bit better, especially against the Eastern playoff teams. We'll see what happens when they face more of them coming up. And last but not least, we're going to talk about the Nets. There's really not much to say about them, except they are actually 2-2. Two and two. And one of those wins was actually against Milwaukee. Garrett Temple of the Nets actually said that he was talking to some of the Houston Rockets in the pool and they were giving him tips on how to beat Giannis in Milwaukee. And it looked like whatever kind of tips they gave him ended up working out. They ended up getting the win. They ended up surprising a lot of people. And they probably surprised Milwaukee themselves. Um, and it was it's just, a to me, it's a hilarious story. Like, oh, he saw Harden, Westbrook, and those guys in the pool. And they were like, oh. You're facing Milwaukee. Yo, let us give you a couple tips. This is how you got to beat Giannis. This is how you got to beat Milwaukee. Temple takes that back to the team. He's like, guys, 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 come around, come around, come around. I got this intel, right? I got this intel. We need to we need to employ this in our game plan, and we got it. Like, do you just tell the players that, or do you tell – I wonder, do you tell the coach? Do you say, like, yo, coach, I have this information. Cause then, like, does the coach feel kind of weird that he doesn't he didn't know that, or does he think like, no, my strategy's better, or is it like a progressive thinking type of coach? I I know who their coach is. I'm just saying, like, you know, uh, in general, if it was anybody getting this information, or do you have a progressive thinking kind of coach? It's like, oh, okay, you give me some new information, we'll we'll change it around this way. I don't know how that went. I don't know if he did tell the coach. I don't know if he only told the players. I don't know exactly what happened. But it ended up working out. So that's all that really matters. I think that's hilarious that that worked out. In the end, 
I don't think it's going to really matter much for Brooklyn. I still think they're going to lose in the first round, especially if they have to face Toronto, who is who they're lined up with right now as the seventh seed. And if they drop to the eighth seed and have to face Milwaukee, I think it was, you know, okay that they beat Milwaukee one game, but I don't think they're beating them four games in a series. I just don't think that's going to happen, especially if they don't have any kind of, if they can't get any kind of momentum from a home crowd or home court advantage. I definitely just don't think they're going to win four games. Um, and I just want to check in because I said Karis LeVert is going to be a guy that I'm looking uh, looking at and keying on in the bubble. He's been playing all right. Um, other teams, I think, just know that he's the one to key on. He's the one they got to look after. Uh, so it's been it's been like you know they he's been getting his points. But at the same time, it hasn't been like any kind of crazy output from Levert or anything you didn't expect. Uh, uh, if other teams are strategizing against the the Nets, they're really strategizing for Levert. Um, you know, uh, Jamal Crawford and I don't know, maybe Garrett Temple or maybe Rodion's Curix. I think that's really about it. There's really not many guys to strategize for. And when you lost all the players that the Nets lost in terms of either injury or just opting out of the bubble, it's going to be an uphill battle. I mean, they're going through the same things Washington's going through. It's just it is what it is at this point, and you just got to play the cards you're dealt with, really. But that is it for me thank you guys for listening to another episode of the atlantic files make sure you check out basketballsocietyonline.com and make sure you check out the underdog sports podcast network we are on everywhere you get your podcast make sure you subscribe make sure you rate make sure you tell a friend as well and also we are coming to youtube very soon probably next episode so if you like your podcast on youtube or if you know someone who likes their podcast on youtube we will be on there shortly as well so make sure you check that out thank you guys for listening and i will catch you guys next week peace